What year is it? 2020. And, and you said that exactly the way it should be said. It's 2020. It's 2020, man. We know. We know. 2020. I have been a pastor now for t- almost 24 years. 24 years I've been doing this, just about. This has been the hardest year, the hardest season of ministry I've ever experienced. And I've been through some stuff. Like, in 24 years of ministry, we have been through a lot. And nothing compares to 2020. They don't teach you in Bible college or in seminary how to deal with a worldwide pandemic. That's not part of the curriculum. They'll teach you how to write a Bible study. They'll teach you how to study the Bible, how to preach, and, and they'll teach you how to you know, do a wedding and stuff like that and how to baptize people, but they don't teach you how to deal with a worldwide pandemic. And and everything that goes along with that. And like I said, this has been the toughest year of ministry for me and for many of my colleagues. It just hasn't been any harder than this. I mean, we as a church were rocking and rolling, like up until March of this year. Like our church has tripled in size in seven years. Our offerings have tripled. Our budgets have tripled. Uh, we, we baptized like 300 people in the last like seven, eight years. It's, it's crazy the way our church was growing. Like we were expanding our parking lot and expanding our campus. We're doing all this stuff and everything is great. And then somebody coughed and everything changed. <laughs> it's like, what's going on? I mean, and, and, and don't get me wrong. I mean, like we had to pivot in a hurry and, and churches like ours had to pivot in a hurry. And you know what? Our staff here did an incredible job of pivoting. I mean, to go from like we had in-person services and then like the next day it was like, no, you're not going to do this again for like 10 or 12 more weeks. And so we had to pivot and go straight to online services within a week. And our associate minister, Brandon, did that. In like less than a week, he got all the licenses we needed. He got all the technology we needed. And he just put it together in less than a week. And now we have a top-notch online service that we're never going to get rid of. I mean, some of you at home are like, yay. And I'm like, I need to lose more weight. (laughs) We have seen God continue to do God things. That is all I can say, is that even in the midst of this worldwide pandemic, even in the midst of all of this 2020 stuff, God has continued to do God's stuff. Like people still come to church. We get like people coming and checking us out for like the first time every single weekend. Like, man, I've heard so many great things about this church. I got to go check it out. And they do. We've baptized almost 30 people this year in the midst of a pandemic. Our attendance dropped by like 65%. And yet, we're still baptizing people. We're still seeing people show up. Offerings are down, but not by that much. And, and God is still doing God's stuff. God is still doing God things. He never stopped. Never stopped. And even though it feels like life has stopped around us, God has not stopped. And neither has the church. Tonight, we are going to finish this series called Unleashed. 
Now, this is a series that we started way back in the month of May. And we went week by week, chapter by chapter, through all 28 chapters of the book of Acts. And what I want to talk to you tonight is about Acts 29. And again, you will not find in your Bible Acts 29, but we have been living it for almost 2,000 years. We have been writing this chapter as the church, not GFCC. We've only been here 100 years. But for almost 2,000 years, the Christian church, the church of Jesus Christ, has been writing the 29th chapter of Acts. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight, the 29th chapter of Acts. And to do so, we are going to go back to the very first chapter of Acts, and then we're going to look at a passage uh, from the book of Matthew. And this first verse I want to show you is from Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And, and this is what it is. It's here on the screen. So Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says this. Jesus said to his disciples, before he goes up into heaven, he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus said, you're going to be my, you're my witnesses right here in Jerusalem. That's where he appeared to them, and that's where they started, in Jerusalem. And then it started to expand from there. And it went to Judea and Samaria. Those are the regions surrounding Jerusalem. And it started to grow. And then he said, you're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And we saw how the Apostle Paul went all the way to the Roman emperor. He went to Caesar. Emperor, he appeared before Emperor Nero. And we talked a little bit last week about what a despicable, horrible person Nero was and how he persecuted the church. We'll talk a little bit more about that tonight. Paul went all the way to the, the emperor of the world, the known world at the time. And Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses. You're, you're going to take my message. You're going to take my good news about how God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And you're going to take my message of good news and you're going to take it to the entire world world to the ends of the earth and that's exactly what has happened like <laughs> anywhere you go in this planet you can mention the name of jesus and people are going to have somewhat of a clue of who you're talking about this carpenter who lived two thousand years ago in a little strip of land in a little nowhere place called nazareth and it's where he grew up and then he did ministry around galilee and places like that this one man is known the whole world over. His name is Jesus. And we've been writing this chapter 29 for years and centuries and centuries and centuries. And now it's our turn. We have the pen. And history is the page. And we are writing our own part of Acts 29. Like I said, we're going to look at a passage from the book of Matthew. This is something Jesus said before he was ever crucified, before he was resurrected, before he ascended into heaven. And I want to talk a little bit about this passage from the book of Matthew. If you have a Bible, grab your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 16. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can use a Bible app on your phone, uh, such as Bible, Ver Bible Gateway or Version, Or you can use the GFCC app. We have our own app here. You can go to your app store and, go to, and search for GFCC, and you can get the GFCC app uh, and follow along that way. And I love this passage of Scripture. This is a great story. And uh, Jesus comes to his disciples and uh, asks them a very very simple question. Look at Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. 
says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now, the region of Caesarea Philippi was about 25 miles north of Galilee. Uh, the region of Galilee is where Jesus did most of his ministry, and uh, that's where his disciples were from. And it's right on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. So about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee is this region of Caesarea Philippi. It was a, uh, an area that was conquered by the Romans. Uh, Philippi was a city. It, it's not the Philippi of Philippians. That's found in Greece, but... This uh, area, Caesarea Philippi, now was named for uh, Caesar, uh, Herod Antipas. He was the king. It was named for him, King uh, Herod Philippi, uh, King Herod Philip. That was his name. And so Caesarea Philippi was an, uh, an homage to the Caesar and homage to his own name. So this area is where Jesus and his disciples were. And he asked his disciples, who do people say I am? Son of man is a term that is that Jesus, it was the most popular term that he used for himself. And it comes from the book of Daniel. And so in the book of Daniel, it said, I saw one, the prophet Daniel said, I saw one like a son of man coming on the clouds of heaven and coming in power and glory. And so Jesus used that term of himself. Daniel saw Jesus way back in the old Testament, um, but it was, it was Jesus that he saw. And he said he was someone like a son of man. And he was approaching the ancient of days. And so he's, he's seeing Jesus hundreds of years before Jesus is even born. It's fascinating. It's awesome. We're going to talk about that next year. We cover the Old Testament in 2021. A much better year, I promise. Um, we're going to hold you to that, Sean. Um, so... Um, so he says, who do people say I am? And they're like, and the disciples reply and say, well, some say John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist was dead. Like this is after John the Baptist was beheaded by King Herod Antipas. Uh, he was beheaded by him because he was uh, uh, telling the king uh, that he was doing the wrong thing uh, with his brother's uh, uh, with wife. <laughs> and so uh, he had uh, John the Baptist beheaded. So John the Baptist is dead and uh, when Jesus says, who do people say I am? And basically they're saying, we, they believe that you're John the Baptist come back to life. Some say Jeremiah or one of the, or some say Elijah and Elijah was a prophet of God. One of the greatest prophets of the old Testament. And basically they're saying that we see you as, they see you as a forerunner to the Messiah, that you're not the Messiah, but you are the forerunner to the Messiah. You're the one who's going to bring the Messiah. Who's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. And then he says, and then they said, some others say Jeremiah, one of the prophets, basically meaning that you're not the Messiah, but you are pointing to the Messiah. Jeremiah was uh, kind of a, known as the weeping prophet. And so he was kind of a, a suffering prophet. And, and there were people who saw that in Jesus. And so Jesus says, he asks them a question. Verse 15. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. The Greek word there for Messiah is the word Christos. Uh, it's the Christ. Christ is not Jesus's last name. It's not like Sean Cornett. All right. It, it's Jesus, the Christ. Christ is his title. It means the anointed one or the chosen one, the Messiah. Yeshua Mahasiah. Jesus, the Messiah. Now, this is 
amazing for Peter to say this. He says, I know that you are the Messiah. We believe that you are the one that God promised to send. Like the Old Testament pointed to a Messiah who would come and save the world and save people from their sins. And we believe that you are him, Peter says. You are the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the chosen one, the Savior. Verse 17, Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. The Aramaic name is uh, Kephas. Uh, the Greek word is Petros, means rock. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. It wasn't his time yet. But he says to him, he says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, that what was revealed to you was not revealed to you by people. God has revealed this to you, that this is my true identity. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. And he tells him, on this rock, I will build my church. Now, uh, Roman Catholics believed that it was on the rock of Peter that, they were, that Jesus was going to build his church. And that Peter was, you know, therefore the first pope. That's not what Jesus had in mind. That's not what Jesus was saying at all. He's saying, on the rock of your confession, on the rock of this truth, that I am the Christ. This is the rock on which I will build my church. The church of Jesus Christ is built on the rock of faith. Faith in Jesus as the Messiah. And so Peter was not the first pope. The, the church wasn't built on Peter. The church was built on Peter's confession. That Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. When we baptize people here at GFCC, we ask them to repeat a confession of faith. We believe in a four-part plan of salvation. We believe that you have to have faith. You've got to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Savior of the world, the Messiah. We believe that you have, you, know, you have to believe that he died for your sins and that God raised him from the dead. You've got to repent from your sins. You've got to turn away from sin and turn to God for forgiveness. You need to confess your faith. And that's what we do when somebody gets baptized. We ask them to confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then you get baptized. And like I said, we baptized almost 30 people this year. Woohoo! We got, the water's always warm. We're ready for more. So if you've made that decision, or if you're making that decision that you want to follow Jesus by getting baptized, we, I encourage you to come grab me after this service and let's have a conversation about your next steps of faith. Or if you're watching online, shoot us an email, office at gfcc.net, and let us know that you're thinking about getting baptized. And we'd love to help you take that next step of faith. But it was on the rock of Peter's confession that Jesus builds his church. And what does he say? Even the gates of Hades will not overcome it. In other words, death, not even death or the powers of darkness can overcome his church. And that's what I want to talk to you about for, the, for just the next few minutes. Is how nothing can stop us. Nothing can stop us. And the reason is is because we are the church. 
We are the church. You and me, we make up the church. Like the, this building is not the church. This building is where the church meets. One of the churches in Griffith meets in this building. But this is just a building. If we met at an elementary school, we'd still be the church. If we met in Central Park, we'd be cold, but we'd still be the church. If we met at my house, it would be crowded, but we would still be the church. You see, we are the church, not the building. The service is not the church. And because we, we have this kind of misnomer, you know, we have this, this idea. It's like when we say, well, I got to go to church. A better way to say it would be, I got to go meet with the church because we are the church. And whenever we gather in the name of Jesus Christ, that's where he is. And that's where his church meets. So we are the church. And the good news is that we got on our side with Jesus on our side. And he, he has promised that nothing can stop us. Like nothing can stop us. And I want to talk about three things that can't stop us. The first is this. Pandemics can't stop us. Pandemics can't stop us. Oh, sure. We didn't meet in person for 10 weeks or so. We still met though. We still worshiped. We did it online. We did it in a different way. Like I said, we had to pivot and we did, we pivoted. Pandemics can't stop us. Like pandemic has stopped a lot of things, right? For some of you, pandemic stopped Thanksgiving. Pandemic may have stopped in-person school learning. Pandemic may have stopped in-person worship services, but the pandemic didn't stop the church. Pandemics can't stop us. And, and don't get me wrong, folks, the pandemic is awful. It's terrible. It has uprooted our way of life. It has upended our way of life. It has made everything miserable. I hate it. I hate what it's done to people I love. I hate what it's done to people I care about. I hate what it's done to my church. I hate what it's done in my life. I hate what it's done in your lives. I hate what it's done in, in, in people's lives all over this country and all over this world. I hate the pandemic. But the pandemic will end. The pandemic will end. And it can't stop us. It may rage on for another three months, six months, nine months, year, two years. I don't know, but I know it will end. But even if it takes longer than we want it to, it still can't stop us. The pandemic can't stop us. We will prevail. We will overcome it. And the church will be stronger than ever. Secondly, persecution can't stop us. We talked a little bit about that last week and about the Roman persecution of Christians and how they would feed Christians to the lions and the wild dogs and set them on fire and just awful, horrible things. They would behead them. They would crucify them. The Romans didn't care. They hated Christians, Emperor Nero especially. 
you know what happens every time persecution breaks out against the church in the book of Acts? The church grows. That seems counterintuitive, right? Let me tell you why it grows. It's because when persecution breaks out against the church, it eliminates fence sitting. The church gets stronger in times of persecution. When you would think, when you would think that the church would die out, when you would think that the church would uh, no longer be able to stand on its own two feet, when you would think that persecution would crush it, the church gets stronger and the church actually grows. And it's because people have to take their faith seriously. Because if you're faced with like impending death, like if you don't recant your faith, if you don't give up your faith, if you do not make a sacrifice, in those days they would, they would say, we won't feed you to the lions if you'll just make this sacrifice to the sacrifice to Caesar. And Christians said, no, I will not bow to Caesar. I worship Jesus. And they went to their deaths. We have brothers and sisters around the world. Like being a Christian in America is pretty easy. We have a lot of cultural Christians. Christians in name only. People who will say things like, yeah, I go to church every once in a while. I'm a Christian. I believe in God. We have brothers and sisters around the world who, if they were to say that out loud, if they were to say that they worship Jesus, if they were to be caught going to church, like they would be imprisoned, uh, they would be killed for their faith. You can't straddle a fence in that kind of a situation. It's not a, well, yeah, I kind of believe in God, or I, I, I go to church, you know, just to make my wife happy. No. In places like the Middle East and China and North Korea, the church is stronger than it is here in America because it has to be. You have to be you're, either you're all in or you're not in. You're either completely sold out and committed and devoted because your life is on the line. Like if you get caught, you may go to prison. If you get caught, you may die. But their love for Jesus and their faith is so strong because they have seen it. They've experienced it. They felt it. They know it. And they trust and they, and they believe that Jesus really is who he said he is. That Jesus really is the son of God. That Jesus really is the savior of the world. That Jesus really did die for their sins. And Jesus really did come back to life. Much like the first century Christians who were faced with lions and faced with wild dogs and burning torches and all kinds of things that were faced with persecution. It, they tried to destroy the church with persecution and they failed because persecution can't stop us. And if persecution ever breaks out in America and well, no, that'll never happen. We, you don't know. You don't know. I don't know. I know that the Bible says in the book of Revelation that worldwide persecution is coming. It will come for us someday. Because the gospel, the good news of Jesus is offensive. And people don't like to be offended. You want to know how I know this? Sometime at your leisure, go to CNN.com. Click on a religion article about Christianity. Just any article, just pick one and go, I want, I, want, I want to read this article about Christianity. And read through the article and the article will be fine. Read the comments at the end. 
Read people's comments of what they really think about Christians and the church. You will be terrified. I heard a, a preacher say at a conference I was at that we are no longer the home team. The, Christ, the church is not the home team anymore. We're not. We do not enjoy the home team status. People in our country hate the church. They do. And there will come a day when they will hate us and persecution will come. It will happen. Maybe not in our lifetimes. Or maybe it will. But even if it does, persecution can't stop us. Finally, the powers of darkness can't stop us. Jesus said the gates of Hades will not prevail against his church, that they will not, the gates of Hades will not overcome it. All the powers of darkness can come against us. The devil can come against us. The demons can come against us. All the powers of darkness, all of the awful, horrible, terrible, evil people in this world can come against us, and they will not prevail against us. The powers of darkness can't stop us because God is on our side. Because Jesus promised that the gates of Hades would not, even the gates of Hades, not even death, not even the powers of darkness, the dominion of darkness, not even the kingdom of darkness can come against his church and prevail against it. Nothing can overcome the church of Jesus Christ. Two words, okay? I, two words. We win. We win. Don't ever forget that. Persecution comes, satanic attack, and the enemy comes against you. He can't beat you. We win. That's you. That's me. It's you online. We win. Don't give up hope. Don't give up on your faith. Do not walk away. Do not throw in the towel. Do not stop praying. Do not stop witnessing. Do not stop worshiping. We win. We win. In the end, we will stand with the victorious one. And his name is Jesus. He overcame death. He overcame the grave. He overcame Satan. God promised in the book of Genesis chapter 3 that he would strike the heel uh, he would strike the, the heel of the woman's seed, but the woman's seed would crush his head. And that's exactly what Jesus did when he walked out of that tomb. On the third day, he walked out, and the first step he took was on the head of the devil. And he said, devil, you're done. He defeated the devil when he was raised from the dead. And now he's coming back. The devil may be dangerous, the devil may be our enemy, but he is a defeated enemy. His doom is sure. And those who follow him, their doom is sure. Make sure you're on the right side. Make sure that you are following Jesus. Make sure that you are committed and sold out to Jesus Christ. Because nothing can stop you. Nothing can stop us. For we are the church. And he has promised that we will overcome. So as we write Acts 29, as we continue writing this chapter of the history of the church, let us be faithful no matter what. 
Let us be faithful to Christ, faithful to the one who's been so faithful to us. Let us stand firm in our faith and not give up because nothing can stop us. Pandemics, persecution, not even the powers of darkness can stop us for we are the church.